everyone. Welcome to the Internet of Things podcast. This is your host, Stacey Higginbotham, and this is your co-host, Kevin Tofel. And today we have so much news. This is this is going to be the Stacey and Kevin show, I think. Yes. This is the Stacey and Kevin show this week because otherwise, yeah, there's just no room. We've got so much stuff. Um, sorry, guests. Sorry, guests. You'll be back. Don't worry. Yep. I have wonderful guests for you guys coming up in the next couple weeks. But we are going to talk about, wow, Google did a bunch of news, um, things for the Internet of Things. Weave, they've got partners for Google Home. We're going to talk about Cortana getting an SDK because that could be used for IoT. And we're going to do a little quick dive into Amazon's AI as a service and how it might compare to Google Assistant. Then we're going to get an ad break from our sponsor, Samsung. And then we're going to go into news because we've got a new BLE hub. That's Bluetooth hub for you guys. We've got some mm -hmm. HomeKit sensors, which is a pretty new thing. We've got Zigbee over Thread, some industrial news from GE, some cloud news from Ayla, maybe some government news, and we've got some self-driving car stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm so, out of breath already. Me too. And I, I didn't even say anything and I'm out of breath. I know. Just listening <laughs> makes you tired. So before we get into all that, let's take a word from our sponsor this week. Our sponsor this week is Skybell. Have you ever wondered who's at your front door when you're at work or when a package arrives or when your kids get home? The Skybell video doorbell lets you see who's at your door from your smartphone replaces your current doorbell, and when a visitor presses the button, it sends an alert with live video so you can see, hear, and speak to the person at your door. I love this doorbell. I reviewed doorbells for the wire cutter, and I will say Skybell HD was my top pick. And because I love all of you guys so much, and because the CEO of Skybell loves you, we're giving IoT podcast listeners a discount. You get $50 off using the code STACY50. This code is good through Christmas Day. So buy cool. now or don't. But I think you should buy now if you're looking for a video doorbell because it is great. So now back to our show. Where do we begin? Actually, we should probably begin by me saying that I do work for Google as a consultant and I have nothing to do with their IoT efforts. I only mention that because we're going to be talking a lot about their IoT efforts. Yes. Let's just get started with Google because... By golly, they did two pieces of news. So we talked about it a little bit last week with the Google mm. opening up its SDK for actions Google on mm -hmm. Google is what it's called. So the program's actions on Google, and it allows you to build stuff for Google Home. Yeah, kind of like the skills for, for the Echo. Yes, but a little bit different. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and this is worth noting. So when you build a... We're going to have to come up with some terminology here. Oh, it's remember how we had to do scenes and recipes and modes and all that. Yeah. So guys, skills are for the Amazon Echo ecosystem and Google calls them actions. Actions. Yeah. Actions. Okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> they, they, I think if I read correctly, it's actions and conversations are the two things you can do. And the conversations are more like informational chat bots that you can add to the Google assistant. But actions are, yes, very much like skills. So when you do the conversations, what happens is you enable this conversation and then an entirely new entity pops up in your Google Home. So it no longer sounds like the Google Home voice. It is now whatever voice the conversation company has chosen, which mm -hmm. is kind of interesting. So if you're talking to WebMD, you might get a, a doctorly voice. 
<laughs> what a doctorly voice. I'm like, I bet it'll be male. Hi, uh, I write I write prescriptions very sloppily. How can I help you today? <laughs> My handwriting is terrible. So, well, what what the brand thinks is a doctorly voice. So that'll be interesting. And then the actions. Now, here's a question, and I don't know if I could not parse this together. So we're going to link to the other big news, which actually happened on Tuesday of this week, which was Google announced that they've changed their Brillo tiny device mm-hmm. OS that is not actually that tiny to Google Things is now what it's called. And it's out of developer preview. And they also announced Weave is available. And Weave is their kind of operating system, I guess, is how we should think of it. I would say Android Things is the operating system. You're right. Android Things is the operating system. And it's for you know, it's it's actually not for sensors, it's for slightly bigger things. And Weave is the communications protocol. Right, right. Sorry. So that's the one that tells what devices what devices can do what. Um you've I think well, I guess it's a schema. I think Google is technically calling them oh shoot, I forget what it's called now. They used to call it a protocol. It's yeah, um traits. Traits. So oh. like if, if you have a light bulb, the trait can be I turn on, on off. And off. Right, right. So, colors. Right. I have a power switch component. I have a dimmer component. The trait for dimmer would be brightness and so on. So it's more of explaining what devices telling each other what they can do. So this is going to compete directly with IOTivity because that is also a device discovery mm-hmm. and communications. Mm-hmm. Now they call it a protocol, but whatever. It, it also gives the, the characteristics or the traits of a device, much like all join did. Now all join did come in and converge with IOTivity. So right. that's that. So when we talk about weave, that's who you should compare it to probably. And there's also nest weave. So as part of the <laughs> Google. And we've talked about that before, and we've wondered why are there two weaves in in and, Google Land? And the reason was Tony Fidel. But um, I didn't you, say that. You said that. I said that. So you said that. What's going to happen is Google's weave and Nest weave will converge, and there will be more information about that coming out in 2017, according to a Google spokesperson. So that's, that's good news. That is good news. So that means basically, with all of this IoT news. Things that are using Weave will speak to the Google ecosystem, including Google Home. And the Google Assistant on the Pixel phones. Yes. So now you can control your Nest on the Pixel, actually, Mm -hmm. which is good. But the other implications of this are that there are a couple of devices that Google said already support Weave or already using Weave. And those devices include products from Honeywell, Wink, TP-Link, and Belkin, which is why we also heard on Tuesday that Wemo is going to work with Google Home. So, mm-hmm. yay. yay! That's, well, I'll, I'll let you do the but first. Go ahead. But it's not available yet. It's coming soon. Oh, okay. Yeah, but that's okay. I'll, I will rebut your but with a, that's okay, because, again, I still have not yet bought a Google Home. In fact, I bought a fourth Echo. I have another dot I got two weeks ago. Again, it's it's all about what devices these things work with, what partners they have, who's supporting what. And it's been a little light on the Google Home side until now. And it still is. But at least we've gotten news that here's what's coming. And that makes me happy. And yes, and I got confirmation from Wink that a Wink version or Wink support on the Google Home 
is also coming, but I don't have an ETA. So we can probably expect the TP-Link outlets. Those are cute. Mm -hmm. People love them. Um, Mm -hmm. And Honeywell, like their Lyric, their water sensor, their T... I don't remember the... I think it's the T5 thermostat that's slightly cheaper Mm -hmm. than the Lyric. LifeX bulbs, first alert uh, smoke detectors as well. Yes, all of that should be coming. And I will say... Kevin, you didn't buy an Echo. So I bought my Echo December 2014 with right. the like $100. We just launched when, something. You want it? And I'm like, sure. Yeah, it had just come out in November. I remember that. Um, and, I, and I passed on it for the did. same reasons I'm passing on home. Mm-hmm. But they didn't actually announce the smart home features or capabilities until March of 2015. That is correct also. And so, that's when I bought mine. <laughs> there you go. So... <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's they took a little time. We're going to let we're going to give Google Home the same time because, you know, that's fair. I give them them being Amazon more leeway here because they I don't want to say invented the category, but I'll I'll say they brought this type of product to the mainstream masses. I'm not going to say they did it first, but they brought it to a wide range of people first and therefore I'm okay with them adding partners over time, and obviously, because I, I bought four of them. I'm disappointed in some other following competing products that did not have a wide ecosystem available on day one. I agree, but, well, they ha- apparently they had to get Weave all in order. Um, eh, so, <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Like, I don't know. I will it, say it's kind of overwhelming. Like, if you imagine these things launching with everything – Mm-hmm. It would be too much. Like people would be like, "I can do what? I can do what? I can do what?" Ah, I think. Uh, I think at first, if you were the first one to do that, yes. But now that they're, you know, you can go to a Home Depot, a Lowe's, wherever, and buy connected light bulbs or a hub or whatever. I think it kind of behooves these products to, to work with all, all of them that are readily available out of the gate at this point in time. Not so much in 2014 when the Echo came out. I agree with you, but. I don't, maybe I'm just being too optimistic on the market. I don't know. Eh, you know, I think eh. we'll see. So yeah. back to Android things, because it's worth mm. delving into this a little bit. No, it's worth delving into a lot because I see three different hardware products that you can use with it. And I have one of them, so I can't wait. So yes, it's going to support, you can start building with the Intel Edison, the mm-hmm. NXP Pico, and the mm-hmm. Raspberry Pi 3, which Yay. most of our audience is probably like, Pi. Now, there was, there was I saw on the Google Developer Google Plus page, which, mm-hmm. why not go there? Someone asking about Arduino, and the response was that that just didn't, it wasn't a robust enough platform. And mm. I don't know if you guys remember, but back when Android Things was Brillo, it required, I think, 64, kilo, 64 was it megabytes? It was megabytes of memory to run which is a lot. So it's possible that Arduino's just doesn't have what they need. Yeah. The other thing to note, and this is something that I had heard about and confirmed with Google, is that if you want to use Weave, you're going to have to use Google's cloud, which means you're going to need an account and you're going to have to use the Weave. Yeah. Yeah. The Weave server component. And that's, yeah. that's a security thing and a control. So like when they roll out, new traits and that sort of thing. That's all. So that all goes through one place as opposed to maybe they learn something with the fragmentation of Android. Who knows? I see the wisdom in making that decision, but I can also see people being upset saying, well, what if I want to use somebody else's cloud, you know, for my, my product, 
I'm sure there will be some grumbles. You're going to have to be bifurcated. But later on, after later in the show, we'll talk about a company that's working their way around that. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Um, let's see. What else do we need to know about this that we know so far? You know, at this point, I don't know that we know much more. No. I'm going to try to get this... someone from Google that's not Kevin that actually <laughs> that actually works on this product. Somebody that knows what they're about. talking about. Yeah. So we don't, I don't, I mean, this was just a uh, developer announcement or developer focused announcement, I should say, not any consumer announcement or anything to that extent. So I don't know that there's much more we know yet. In addition to this news, we should also talk about Microsoft, which you guys are like, what? No, we're talking about Amazon and Google Home. But Cortana (laughs) got an SDK that also launched on Thursday, which I think is actually worth bringing up because Mm -hmm. we're all waiting for like, what's going to happen with Microsoft and their IoT home play. And what it looks like is the Cortana SDK is going to be that its answer. Mm-hmm. Which is you can put Cortana on any device, much like Amazon lets they have, I'm going to say her name, everybody, Alexa voice services, and you can put that on any number of devices. Mm-hmm. One of Microsoft's early Cortana SDK partners is going to be Harman Kardon, the premium audio manufacturer, which incidentally was bought by Samsung. Which is really odd. <laughs> which feels not, really not, odd. Yeah. Not that Samsung bought Harman, but that... Samsung has their own IoT play here, and yet they're an early device partner with Microsoft to and showing off a audio speaker that you speak to Cortana, just like you would with an Echo. It's kind of strange. And so I would be curious, given not necessarily the Harman Kardon thing, but given the SDKs now that are out and the with both Google Home. So thing, no actions on Google. We've got the Echo SDK and we've got the Cortana SDK. Mm-hmm. Wow. And a Cortana and a Cortana skills kit. And a Cortana skills kit. So you can build skills, which thank you, Cortana, for keeping with these skills nomenclature. So I don't have to stretch my brain anymore during this show. Man, what do we think about all this? What are people going to use? Who are we going to talk to, Kevin? Who? Well, <laughs> we're going to talk, hopefully in the future, it won't matter, is my hope. I remember one of the first articles I wrote about voice interfaces, the invisible interface was, it will work because it's simple, it's universal, anybody can use it without, quote unquote, learning the interface. If you know how to ask a question or speak a command, you can use this interface. Your question, though, is what about multiple interfaces, in a sense? Yeah. Yeah. How do we manage that? And this is going to sound strange coming from me, but I think Microsoft is actually best suited for this challenge because Cortana works on Windows, on Android, on iOS. It works on my Xbox. And then they're going to have these additional devices, hopefully through partners with their SDK. So from in terms of, of breadth of that invisible interface, they might be ahead of the curve here. And they also announced their Microsoft Translator using their AI skills because mm-hmm. Microsoft's AI backend and speech to text and language, so like NLP, language recognition, mm-hmm. all of that stuff is freaking amazing. I mean, Google yeah. has really good stuff, but Microsoft on Tuesday also announced real time 
translation, like between groups of people speaking multiple languages in person. Mm -hmm. That is insane. That's impressive. I mean, that's really amazing. So, um, You may be right, um, especially if we think about being able to talk and speak to something naturally. Now, Mm -hmm. I'm going to throw a curveball in here because Amazon, it was actually at reInvent at the end of November. And then they also this week kind of pulled it all together in this nifty little blog post. But Amazon is actually really trying hard to offer an AI product for developers that a pre-trained models basically for things. So Mm -hmm. you can do both custom algorithms and custom models, but they also have pre-tuned stuff for developers. And that's all going to be through their cloud. So Mm -hmm. now they have these Amazon AI models that you can run on top of Amazon's machine learning platform. And if you guys are like, Oh, head exploded, just be aware that, you know, basically it's giving developers the ability to use the developers data with Amazon's AI algorithms. So you can basically use your stuff to build new, smarter things, and you don't have to develop all the AI that like Google or Amazon has done. Yeah, it seems like the race is on, or maybe it's... Uh, I think it's uh, been going almost, for a while, but it, now yeah, everybody's I've, come I've, out from like, if they were racing yeah, underground, they've come out from the tunnel. Everybody wanted to p- provide a cloud service. Okay, we do that. Everybody wants to provide SDKs for that cloud. Okay, we all do that now. Now everybody wants to provide an AI for people to use. So as you were saying, Amazon, I, I see three different things, which are kind of interesting, just to break it down a little further. They've got Amazon Lex for natural language processing. They've got Amazon Poly, which is a text-to-speech service, and Amazon Recognition, which is an image service uh, up in the cloud. So they're providing all of that to developers, which, again, a lot of others do that. Google does that, and Microsoft does that as well. So yeah, so maybe the race is on. It's probably the wrong way to say it. The, the race is hopefully um, heating up. Dun, dun, dun. And who is the beneficiary? We are. I'm going to play oh. this for you. I don't see if I, I don't know if this is going to work, but let's see if you, you can hear it. But this is Amazon Polly reading quotes. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. That was Amazon Polly just reading. Mm-hmm. So, whoa. And she sounded really good and British. I guess that's because. R- right. <laughs> why not? <laughs> Everyone okay. likes a British accent. Um, okay. So that's a lot going on. Everybody's got their components. If I were to judge today, I would say Microsoft is probably the most advanced in terms of speaking back to people and maybe understanding, followed by Google. Maybe they're neck and neck. Amazon has the biggest ecosystem right now. And with their AI stuff, they're poised to keep that ecosystem. Google has the best, I don't know, what does Google have the best? I can't answer that question. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, Google, Google's assistant. Google has the best employees. Yay. (laughs) Google probably has the best, like Google knows what I'm talking about when I ask it a question. So I did a video this week. Yeah, I did. So we'll see. This is big, you guys. So I'm really excited. 2017 is shaping up to be really cool. All right, let's take a quick ad break. And then we're going to come back with more news. Hey, everyone, we are taking a break in the Internet of Things podcast for a message from our sponsor. This week's sponsor is Samsung Arctic Cloud. And we have Janine Chu, who is head of developer evangelism for Samsung Arctic Cloud, here to tell us 
what Samsung Arctic Cloud is. Janine? Samsung Arctic Cloud is an open data exchange platform for the Internet of Things that provide easy-to-use, open APIs and tools to securely collect, store, and act on any data from any connected device or cloud service. The platform is designed to accelerate device interoperability, enable new data insights. And why is interoperability so important? So Gartner predicts there'll be over 20 billion connected devices by 2020. All of these things were not meant to work together, and they're all in their own silos. So in order for IoT to be successful, interoperability is critical. There was a study done that has shown that interoperability is required for 40% on average and close to 60% in some settings. Arctic Cloud solves the problem of breaking down those silos by allowing for the true interoperability between devices and services. And if the device already has a cloud, then you can create a new cloud connector using Arctic Cloud. That sounds like a really powerful platform. What are developers doing with it? It's incredible what developers are doing using our Arctic Cloud platform. We recently had a hackathon where they built out an industrial IoT solution, Service IoT. So they used the chatbot to monitor and troubleshoot the machines. Sensor data was sent to Arctic Cloud, which stores the data for querying data from the chatbot. And so if there's an issue with the machine, such as a high temperature reading, an Arctic Cloud rule was created to send a notification to the chatbot to communicate with the operator that something went wrong. We also had somebody build out a smart city solution, which optimizes waste collection and reduces fuel consumption for garbage trucks. So sensors are installed in the lid of the garbage container to measure the temperature of the container and if the dumpster is full. This sensor data is then transmitted to Arctic Cloud to inform the waste management company of the status. It's really easy for our developers to build out these innovative solutions because our platform is so simple. We hide the complexity of IoT development and provide simplicity for developers. We provide APIs for everything in order to simplify that whole process. We have 10 SDKs, easy-to-use tools, and great sample code to help you get started in your development efforts. Awesome. Well, Janine, where can I find out more? So developers can learn more about Arctic Cloud and start using it for free by visiting arctic.cloud. So we're putting together some incredible webinars today. We have a webinar with Craft AI in order to build out an innovative IoT solution using artificial intelligence. And we also have a webinar coming up with Sigfox. Sigfox builds wireless networks to connect low-energy objects. We'll be doing a live code demo with Craft AI as well as Sigfox. All right, we are back. And instead of a guest, we are still here, both Stacy and Kevin talking about news. We did a big deep dive on, holy cow, all the new AI cloud personal assistant talking things. We should probably come up with a better name for them. (laughs) And now we're going to get into some of the the week's news that, that we haven't covered yet, such as we'll just get started with some new products out there in the market. Cassia Networks has created a Bluetooth home hub. And you guys are like, what? Who cares? But no, this is great because Bluetooth mesh is not great right now. And this hub actually makes your Bluetooth go further and Mm -hmm. supports a lot of devices. So this is good for both home and a lot of people in the industrial world are trying to use Bluetooth too, actually, because it's already on handsets and it's pretty ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the short, actually the short range of Bluetooth is an advantage for them because they, it's, it's a little bit more secure. Like within the factory, they're like, eh. What I like about this, I'm not, not 
typically a big, I don't want to say a fan of Bluetooth because I love Bluetooth for very specific things. Um, I would not think of it in a router, but what I like about this, and even though you can do this on Wi-Fi, I like Bluetooth for presence. I love Bluetooth for presence. Not not like Christmas presents, but where I am presence. Wait, you don't want Bluetooth Christmas presents? That would be cool too. <laughs> the best of both worlds. I also like this because right now, Bluetooth in things like light switches or sensors, it just doesn't make a lot of sense because it just doesn't have the range. Um, and this is going to make this possible. And it should be, hopefully it will be Bluetooth 5 compatible since they're just launching it and the Bluetooth 5 spec is now out. So I look forward to seeing this in the real world. This is actually an enterprise version of the hub. And some of them support power over Ethernet. Yay! Mm -hmm. People like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Plug it in, have connectivity. And you don't actually have to have the cloud. The Cassia SDK is both on the cloud is and on the router. So Yay. You, you can keep things local. Local. I was like disconnected from the internet, aka local. local. <laughs> All right. So I think this is actually a really cool product. Um mm -hmm. worthwhile. The other news, and this is big because we didn't talk about her, but Siri and Apple. The news here is that Fabaro, which is a maker of really awesome Z-Wave sensors, they're making HomeKit sensors. And mm -hmm. this is significant for two reasons. One is Fabaro is a Z-Wave company. So this is the first time they've gone out of Z-Wave. What? And yeah, these are Bluetooth, right? Yeah, they're Bluetooth. And the other is that this is going to give some sensors to HomeKit, which has been kind of less sensor focused, I guess. It's mm -hmm. been more device focused, much like the Wink Hub, to be honest. So Fabaro is going to launch a flood sensor for $70, a motion sensor for $70, and a door window sensor for $60 each. They're going to start selling next Soon. week. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm yeah, that's good. This. And I'm going to get some, you guys, because I don't know if y'all know this. I think I've said it. I'm building a HomeKit enabled. I've got a double ecosystem in my house. So I'm building a HomeKit ecosystem. I've got the Elegato sensors, the, mm. the Eve sensors in there, which also are run on Bluetooth for HomeKit and some lights, some HomeKit lights from Philips Hue. I've got a device, iDevices smart plug. And then I have something else that I can't. Oh, Lutron, Lutron lights. Mm a Lutron hub to switch my Lutron lights over. If you guys are thinking of doing this, know this for your Lutron stuff. It only works on one system or like one thing or the other. So I'm going to break my Lutron lights for echo and my husband's going to mm. see that's yeah. That, uh, <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm just shrugging right now. Kevin well, that, is shrugging. That's a radio thing. So anytime you've got a Zigbee or not as, Actually, yes, Zigbee, if it's not over Wi-Fi, so if it's a direct Zigbee link, Z-Wave or Lutron, those only connect to one network at a time. So for the Lutron, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have to run it to the Lutron hub, which then I can use the Lutron app on my Android devices mm -hmm. to still control them, but I can't tie it to the Echo. Sadness. Yeah. Since, yeah, my, my husband's not going to be thrilled. No. You know, his life is already messed up enough. So, okay, so that's that. Oh, we should talk about Zigbee. You know why? Because we've got like two other pieces of Zigbee news. Yeah, Zigbee and Thread. Zigbee running over the Thread protocol. Holy cow, guys, I'm throwing another one at you. Zigbee running over the Thread protocol is real. 
So now at CES, they're going to show this off that this is working. And for you guys who are like, Oh my God, Stacy, you're breaking my brain. The thread protocol is a wireless, it's a mesh wireless protocol, much like Zigbee and Z-Wave are mesh wireless protocols. Like those, thread has low and doesn't use a lot of energy. Unlike those, it is IPv6 compatible, so it can go directly out to Direct. the internet. Yay. So those are the differences. When you're thinking of thread, throw it down with Zigbee and Z-Wave. And once Bluetooth has its mesh network, we'll throw Bluetooth mesh in there just for funsies. But now with Zigbee running over thread, that means you get the Zigbee software stack over the thread protocol. And the Zigbee software stack has a lot of stuff for lights that's really powerful for managing huge lighting networks or big lighting networks. So that's that's why that matters. So probably good for uh, industrial and enterprise. It could be. And Thread has announced that they're going into the enterprise a couple weeks ago. So that makes Mm -hmm. sense. And also means that anything that supports Thread. So I gotta think that Google is going to be a big supporter of Thread since it came out of Nest. And in fact, there is a Zigbee radio in the Google Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. So. I imagine we're going to see Zigbee over thread coming from your Google Wi-Fi routers at some point in time, Kevin. I can only imagine. I cannot say otherwise because I don't know. Right. Um, but it, I did get my Wi-Fi, so I, I'm actually using it right now. We're going to talk about Wi-Fi towards the end. Stay tuned for uh, Wi-Fi, you guys. Cool. Okay. What other things do we have? Oh, let's talk about self-driving cars, Kevin. Ah, there's lots going on all of a sudden. So Google's self-driving car efforts which were part of, I guess, part of the X Lab, X Division, are now a separate company under Alphabet called Waymo. I guess uh, W was the next letter to be used in Alphabet. So Waymo is its own company under Alphabet. And Google is partnering with, I want to say, Chrysler Fiat? Yes. For, yeah, yeah. So this is probably... A CES event. I suspect we'll see some demonstrations of self-driving minivans, if I or Pacificas. I can't recall which uh, from Chrysler that will use the Google tech. And uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people recently were saying Google's shutting down its self-driving car business, and I'm like, really? I mean, I wouldn't know because I don't. I'm again not on that team. But then, no, they're not shutting it down. They're spinning it off to its own company. Yes. So. And then Uber also Mm. is like, what up? Self-driving Ubers, tell us more. Yeah, so uh, I'm very curious what Uber drivers think of this, but I'm sure Uber riders will be intrigued. The first self-driving Ubers are alive and well in San Francisco. So this is a very limited market. But yeah, so it's starting uh, today, the day we're recording the show, which is Wednesday, you can get a self-driving Uber. You'll be matched with one if one is available. I'm trying to figure out, did they say, they haven't said how many there are, how many Ubers. But and there's still a driver in the car, right? As far as I know, I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a problem if something happened. So you know what they don't say? it's a, They're expanding their self-driving pilot. I think you have to have a driver in the car still. Well, that's going to depend on on the local ordinances and such, but 
Yeah, they really don't say anything. I'm looking at their blog post right now. There is. There is one in the video. So maybe Uber drivers won't care. (laughs) (laughs) They have less to do. Okay. So there's going to be a driver in the car. Mm -hmm. Yay! Because I would be kind of nervous. And now the drivers don't have to drive. Also, yay. So yeah, this is this is actually happening, you guys. And I would not want to drive. I mean, self-driving in San Francisco seems like a freaking nightmare because people are running in and out and there's construction everywhere. Ah. Yeah. I highly recommend, we should link to this video in our show notes because I highly recommend people watch the demonstration of the Uber self-driving car because the poor driver is just sitting there, bored as all get out, looking around out the windows. It's so funny. <laughs> awesome. I will link to that in the show notes because because this is your future. Yes, Ted. I'm an Uber car babysitter. How can I help you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I guess, do they have to, I, I don't know if they have to keep their eyes on the road. I mean, because I guess they have to be prepared to take over, but whoo. Yeah, they do. Whoo. That would not be great. Um, okay, in industrial, well, this is sort of industrial news. So we've got some cloud news here. Ayla, which is a company that provides a cloud service for any company that wants to build connected devices. Basically, it works with, it's a cloud service that's authenticated on lots of chips. You put the chip in your product, and then suddenly you have a cloud back in for all of your needs. They have announced that they are doing the Echo Skills for people. So they will support hmm. it. They will make all of your stuff, you configure your stuff, and then they take those configurations and then they tune it to the Echo configurations. Presumably, they I did talk to them, they are in talks with, you know, all of the other providers. So presumably, they will tune your stuff to the other providers and handle the fact that Google Weave requires you to have two separate hmm. or its own cloud implementation. So this is great news, both for companies that are like, oh, this is so complicated. And also for the companies that are like, hey, this world is complicated. We will do all of the back-end nasty stuff for you, and you just pay us money. And so Mm -hmm. this is great. Plus, I got the tidbit from the Ayla guys. They were like, yeah, we had to do this because all of our customers were like, we don't want an app. We need voice recognition. So I feel like that's kind of a no-brainer, but there's another example of voice really winning when it comes to the interaction for the internet of things. Woo woo. Uh, mm-hmm. Other cloud news, GE is building industrial networking gear for its IOT, industrial IOT stuff. They're using Cisco and HP gear, basically building gateways, branded gateways, sensors, that sort of stuff, because you can't, you can't get stuff to the Predix cloud if you don't give them the hardware. I think this is kind of strange because I know that GE already works with like gateways and stuff from like Intel, Dell. There's a bunch of like really archaic non-computer vendor kind of gateway providers that have been in the industrial space for a while that um, GE also works with. So I'm kind of like, huh. I agree. This was kind of strange when when I saw it on the notes and whatnot. But then I'm thinking, you know, the whole Predix bit is if without data. It's kind of, I don't want to say it's useless, but it needs data. So I think they're just trying to remove obstacles to getting at that data from industrial machines. Right. It's it's the quote unquote end to end solution that everyone is right for. So man, you want to talk about Wi-Fi or I feel like we should just skip ahead to Wi-Fi. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I can we talk about Wi-Fi. As I said, I got my Google Wi-Fi unit, which cost me 129 I think, $129. And you already had the OnHub, right? 
I did. I did have the OnHub, and I remember when Google Wi-Fi was announced, a lot of people were like, oh, my OnHub is done, it's useless, it's this, it's that. Well, no, it's actually part of this Google Wi-Fi system, or it can be if, if you already have an OnHub. So you can you can actually create a mesh network with multiple OnHubs if you wanted to, but that's expensive. So I went the cheaper route and added one Google Wi-Fi to my OnHub. Uh, my OnHub is downstairs on the first floor in a two-story townhouse, about 2,000 square feet. I had Wi-Fi signal issues and obviously speed, therefore, issues uh, in the backside of the second floor of the house. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to put a Google Wi-Fi on the second floor and see what that does. And oh my goodness, just like you know, an Eero or a Plume or many other available solutions, it did the trick. Um, it was very simple to add uh, right through the new Google Wi-Fi app because the old OnHub app is now Wi-Fi just for branding purposes, as I suspect. And uh, so I've got this little mesh network of, you know, two nodes, and it's working really well. Yay! Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you really noticed the difference. And how did that – did you oh, try yeah. any other Wi-Fis? Did you try any other meshes? I can't remember. You know, I did try the Eero, and when I got the Wi-Fi and tweeted about it, people were like, oh, how does it compare to the Eero that you tried and so on? And I said, you know what? I'm not going to compare them. I said they both do the job. And the reason I'm not doing a strict comparison is because I tested the Eero 3-pack in my old house, and ah. I've since moved, and therefore – it's not a fair comparison. I mean, network testing is, you can't add variables and, and expect a good test. So, well, you yeah. can't, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you can certainly <laughs> add variables. You, um, well, yeah. But, but it's a totally different environment. So, you know, it's hard for me to say this is better or worse than an Eero, for example, or some other Luma, whatever you want. I, don't, I can't compare it because I've never tested those here in this house. Got it. Well, now I kind of want to send you some Eros again. <laughs> All right. Well, I also am testing Wi-Fi. So I talked about these last week. These were the plume pods. These are the little Wi-Fi things that they're hexagonal, metallic, beautiful things that you plug in. There's a radio and it creates a mesh network. You plug into an electrical outlet. Sorry. Yes. You plug into it an yeah. electrical outlet, not an Ethernet jack. Well, right. one well, you could do that too. Yeah. One you do. One you plug into your router. So I set it up. And then I, I didn't tell you guys about it last week because it's a, it's a learning system. So I didn't test it until right. it had been in, in a week. So it would learn what it needed to know. So the key here is it's all connected to the cloud. And for me, I did notice that my Wi-Fi network has improved in places that are hard to get to. Now, the comparison for me is going to be the Eero and because that's what had been running in my house. I did notice that the plume Wi-Fi made some less. So like my doorbell, for example, I have a doorbell and it had okay coverage, right? So my Wi-Fi powered doorbell had okay coverage, but it has better coverage under the plume. And I'm assuming that's because it has found a node that's a little bit closer. Mm -hmm. Although I would imagine it's using the node that it's the same node that because the doorbell, the closest spot to my server closet, whereas, which is where I keep my hubs and such is right there. So I'm like, okay, so that's better. Um, so that could just be the, the self-learning and optimization uh, aspect. If the location, obviously your doorbell location hasn't changed. So it's getting more DBs. I also will say though, the plume has been an exercise and frustration for me personally, because there are only, there's only one gigabit ethernet port on each little pod. Mm -hmm. So, the challenge for me, because I run so many hubs 
plugged into, I, I run a switch because I have, you know, my Philips Hue hub needs access to the internet, right? My SmartThings hub needs, actually, that actually I think has Wi-Fi. Well, maybe it doesn't. I have my SmartThings hub, which may or may not use Wi-Fi. I cannot recall on my switch as well. So there are a couple of devices that just have to be plugged in. And then I also plug in my TVs. I hardwired because, mm-hmm. and this is because my house is new and I have ethernet in every room. So everything is hard. Everything that can be hardwired to the LAN is, which is great for like my TV, but mm-hmm. it's bad for the plume because the plume, I can't actually plug anything into it. So I kind of broke a lot of things in my house when I installed these. Now that doesn't mean you will break a lot of things in your house when you install them. It just means that if you're using a switch, this may not be the router. It's, it's, you can set it up. There is a way to set it up, but it is not the easy option that kind of, I feel like a lot right. of these guys are selling. And, and in fairness to what they are selling, what they're selling first and foremost, is a, a simple way to have better Wi-Fi connectivity throughout your house at c- coverage and speed, right? At, so that's the main thing that they're selling. And for that, I think the plume works from what you described as well as what other reviews I've read. It's when you start getting into lots of IoT levels that many of these solutions are constrained because a lot of them only have a single Ethernet jack on wh- whatever hardware they have. So this is where Kevin and I spent, because we are we are Kevin and Stacy, and this is what we talk about. <laughs> we spent a long time discussing the need for all routers, even if your goal is to be like this mesh network, to have two gigabit Ethernet ports. At, yeah, at least, at least two. Have, at least have that as an option. I mean, I'm fine buying a switch. A switch is like forty bucks. If you want to add more for like the people who have a couple devices, great. But I feel like that could be a losing game because like I continually add devices to my switch. I actually have three yeah, we, switches. We typically don't re- reduce the number of devices we have. <laughs> exactly. So two ports, Eero has two, Luma has two, and the Google. I think, yeah, I think Google Wi-Fi has two. The Google OnHub has two. So, uh, Well, one is for, backhaul. well, I'm using one for backhaul. And then there is another one that I use for my TV so I can watch 4K. Yep. Right. Yep. But if you wanted, yep. you could put that into, instead of a TV, you could plug that into a switch and then plug your TV into the switch if you needed. That's more. true. That's true. Um, okay. It all so, gets very complicated the more devices you add. Yes. Networking is not easy. And I will also say, having broken my network a lot in the last couple of months for, I've been testing this concept of secure devices on, like how to secure <laughs> my network. So what I did is I actually put a bunch of devices on my guest network, but and that's actually worked fairly well, but I don't feel like it's any more secure, really. It's just harder to get to in the first place. So once you're there, there's no additional security. Right. So I was yeah. like, you know, yeah. I will throw a bunch of devices that I know don't need to talk to lots of things. But the problem is most of my devices still need to talk to my phone. So like my doorbell, for example, has to ping my phone and say, hey, someone's at your doorbell. So my phone needs to be on that network. That's where it gets tricky. You need to, When you need to start worrying about what network you're on to actually use a device it gets back to the whole the very beginning of this conversation which interface will we talk to you know here it's now it's which interface are we connecting to for a network so we can do something and that's that's just a barrier that we don't need so I'd, i'm not loving that solution the guest network no. solution is sucky <laughs> i'm just gonna lay it out there so the other solution is to create 
a completely separate network and only do certain things on it. And I did that and that worked well, but it was kind of also silly. So everything else lives 90% of the time on my main network. And if I was doing banking or anything that required extra security, like paying for stuff, then I would switch over to the quote unquote secure network. Mm-hmm. That <laughs> offered very little fun and excitement, and it was stupid. People, people are not going to want to do that. So yes. it makes me wonder, is there an opportunity for router makers here to beef things up and really, really start integrating Internet of Things into their products a little bit better? We should probably think first about making routers a little bit more secure in the first place <laughs> before yeah. we start adding the security. So, for example, there was just a story in Ars Technica that a variety of Netgear routers that are vulnerable to a hack that lets people take control of the devices. And this is this is older routers. So the R7000, R6400, R8000, and some others have been I'll, I'll include a link to the story so you guys can have it, are also in danger. But that's just an example of right now. Actually, let's just say it. Buy someone you love a router for Christmas. If you haven't yeah, bought really a router good. in like a year, go buy a router. And I would say buy one of the more modern routers that allow over-the-air updates. That actually means a mesh network. And most times I actually kind of had a conversation over Twitter with Netgear asking about if they're Nighthawk routers, which are freaking awesome, were updatable over the air. And they were like, no, you got to do it over the LAN. But at least they are updatable. There's our recommendation. So that's a lot of news. So we've got Wi-Fi. We've got many, many new products. We've got the race heating up between Google and Amazon and Microsoft. And we got protocols. We got protocols. We got it all this week, except for a guest. All right. We will be back The following week, we're going to do our podcast a little bit early because of we didn't want to put it out on uh, the day before Christmas Eve. So you'll probably see your podcast show up a little extra early, but enjoy it. Kevin and I will talk about exciting things, and we will have a lovely guest for you. It will actually be my husband. He's going to talk and give a real person's perspective. You can play it for your significant other when they open their presents under the Christmas tree, and they're like, oh my God, why did you get me a connected garage door opener? (laughs) So thanks, you guys, for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again next week on the Internet of Things podcast. And if you don't get enough IoT news from this show, feel free to sign up for my newsletter, Stacy Knows Things, at stacyoniot.com.